that you thank uh, Jenny Turner and uh, also Joy and Derek for all of their hard work. The teachers, the volunteers, it's been excellent. So come on Wednesday night. We also have our last adult classes. We're going to take a break the following Wednesday and then start into the Genesis class. And uh, for, uh, for the adults, it's going to be a good time. Um, <clears throat> did have general conference this week, and uh, you know, Pastor Sean kind of shared with you earlier what stood out to him. I think the thing that stood out to me the most, the thing that resonated with me the most, is they had a presentation one afternoon <clears throat> of all of our EMC churches around the world. And so there were uh, representation from Southeast Asia, from Africa, Canada district every area, and they had a section in the service where we heard scripture from like six or seven different languages. And then we sang worship songs together, and everybody sang in their own language. And it was like a taste of heaven. Now, the music wasn't perfect. Uh, they were kind of offbeat from time to time, or someone was louder than somebody else. But all of us were just in tears, because that's what the Great Commission, that's what the gospel is about. Every tribe, every tongue, every language, every person made in the image of God, worshiping Him in community. And uh, we got a sweet taste of that this week. If you have your Bibles, you can turn to Zechariah chapter 7. Today's sermon is entitled, Is It Really For Me? Is It Really For Me? How many of you truly want to do the right thing all the time? I mean, if we're honest with ourselves, maybe we don't want to do the right thing all the time, but at least we want to know what the right thing is so we can get as close to the line as we can. Uh, <laughs> if you have a desire to please God, though, you want clearly defined parameters, especially if you're a structure person. I want to know what's right and good, and I want to know what's wrong. Well... We all want to know what God expects, and today you're going to get an answer. So be excited about that, right? Just be prepared that it may not be the answer you expected. Our journey of faith is not just what you do, but why you do it. Think about that. I think it's even more important to know why we do what we do rather than just what we do. The why is so essential. So, in Zechariah chapter 7, we're picking up in a place where this long night of dreams, of visions from God, has concluded. And now, two years later, uh, Zechariah has another message from God. This time, it's not a vision, but a direct word. And so, let me just encourage you that God is speaking all the time and in lots of different ways. So, be careful you don't limit how God's going to speak to you. Don't say, I want to see it in the clouds, or I want a burning bush, or I want to have this certain feeling or emotion. Or when you pray your prayer, don't say, God, I want you to answer it this way. It doesn't work that way. You know, we, we're finishing, uh, I've really enjoyed working with, with Pastor Steve and Dorenda on this marriage maintenance class, and um, I've learned so much from them. But one of the things that I've been reminded of is, Men use like 10% of our ability to communicate, and women use like 90, right? Well, God uses the whole 100. <laughs> you know, you, you, we're just not limited in how we communicate. With most men, if you don't tell them outright, they don't get it. God is creative. He's the creator of communication. He's the creator of language, right? And so let's not limit how he speaks to us. Now, you may get a message 
uh, that's in a unique way. And you may say, how do I know if it's from God or not? Well, take everything back to God's word. If it doesn't match his word, that's his, his perfect revelation, then it's not true, right? And so people can help you that, people that you trust that know God's word as well. But, but just, this is kind of a, aside from the whole message, is God is speaking. Just don't limit how he wants to speak to you. Zechariah 7, verses 1 through 3. On December 7th of the fourth year of King Darius's reign, another message came to Zechariah from the Lord. The people of Bethel had sent Sherezer and Regimelech. I wish one of these Sundays we'd have a normal name. Along with their attendants to seek the Lord's favor. They were to ask this question of the prophets and the priests of the temple of heaven's armies. Should we continue to mourn and fast each summer? on the anniversary of the temple's destruction, as we have done for so many years. So these messengers, messengers are sent from Bethel to find out from God a simple answer. Ever since the destruction of temple, twice a year, we've lamented and we've mourned and we've fasted and we've sorrowed, uh, and we want, want to have an answer. Do we have to keep doing that? Now, the written word, we can't measure whether or not this is a genuine heartfelt question or not we can't do that so we have to assume that they really want to know the answer to this this is not just a message from one or two individuals but it's from all the people of Bethel now let me give some history on Bethel right Bethel the first time we hear about Bethel we hear it through Jacob Jacob has lied and betrayed his brother Esau Prior to this, he had taken away his birthright. Now he's taken away his blessing. And Esau wants to kill his brother. And so Jacob is fleeing for his life. Because of his lie, he may have gotten this blessing and birthright. But now he's, he's fleeing for his life. He's got nothing. All he's ever known, as we understand Jacob, he would have preferred to stay around the tents, right? Than, than go out and have an adventure. That's not the kind of guy he is. And so he finds himself not knowing what the future holds, bounty on his head, basically, and he's got his staff, and he doesn't even have a pillow, so he uses a rock as a pillow, and God gives him this vision of a stairway between heaven and earth, and angels ascending and descending on it, and he wakes up from this dream and says, surely the Lord is in this place, and I didn't know it. So he takes one of his two precious possessions, his rock-hard pillow, and he sets it up, anoints it, and makes it a memorial. It says this is a place where God's presence resides. Then years later, after uh, living and working for his father-in-law and gaining many wives and children, he and his brother Esau finally succumbs and, and doesn't want to kill him anymore. He ends up living at Bethel, becomes a place where he dwells. And then when the people grow to a point where it's, it's a large family, and, uh, and, and the famine happens, and they end up in Egypt for 400 years, and then God delivers them out of Pharaoh's hand, and they come back to the land. It's at the place of Bethel where they set up the worship of God. That's the place where they set up the tabernacle. And so Bethel is literally the place where God's presence dwells, as God's, God's Ark of the Covenant was there. But as we know throughout your Bible, when people go to worship God in the temple, they didn't build the temple in Bethel. They build it in Jerusalem. And so at the end of the book of Judges and starting into the book of 1 Samuel, the wickedness of the people had gotten so great that uh, they decided to use the Ark of the Covenant as a lucky rabbit's foot and take it into battle against the Philistines 
and they lose God's presence for a time. When it gets returned to Israel, it never goes back to Bethel. So Bethel has a rich history of being a place where God was honored and worshipped, but eventually lost his presence because they forgot the point. They forgot what being in God's presence was all about. So maybe, maybe that's part of the source of this very question. We want to do the right thing again so God will be honored in us. We have been a place, a community, where people used to gather and worship God, but we've lost his presence. And and now that we're back uh, from exile, we're back in the promised land, we want to do things the right way. They start off the right way. They go to the prophets and the priests for the answers. Um, Remember during this time period, they don't have the Holy Spirit in each individual, and so if you wanted to hear from God, you would have to go to the temple and, and ask the priest to intercede for you and, and, and hear God's word for you, or, or a prophet would, would deliver a message, or you could read through the scrolls throughout the worship, God's promises. Either way, you didn't often get a clear answer outside of that. And that's still good godly counsel today, to go to people and seek God's face. And so God always has the ultimate answer to all of our questions. It's a good reminder we need to hear this morning, guys. No matter what you're facing in life, God always has the ultimate answer. So part of the Christian walk is developing a pattern where you don't go to someone else first, right? What's going on in the world? Who's in control? Don't turn on the news. <laughs> What's happening in our community? Don't check Facebook. You know, what, what is my purpose and plan for this life? Don't ask your parents. Not first. Go to Jesus. Go to God. He has the answers to everything. And he's, he's got a good purpose and a plan for your life. He's the source of all truth, first and foremost. So again, let's look at the question. Do we still have to mourn twice a year for the destruction of the temple? I mean, they're looking around. The temple's being rebuilt. We're back in the promised land. Is it okay to hope? Do we still have to have days of mourning? Can we believe in better days? That that's, seems to be the core of their question. And so God answers it, verses 4 through 10. The Lord of heaven's armies sent me this message in reply. Say to all your people and your priests, during these 70 years of exile, when you fasted and mourned in the summer and in the early autumn, was it really for me that you were fasting? And even now, in your holy, holy festivals, Aren't you eating and drinking just to please yourselves? Isn't this the same message the Lord proclaimed through the prophets in years past when Jerusalem and the towns of Judah were bustling with people and the Negev and the foothills of Judah were well populated? Then this message came to Zechariah from the Lord. This is what the Lord of heaven's army says. Judge fairly and show mercy and kindness to one another. Do not oppress the widows, orphans, foreigners, and the poor and do not scheme against each other. God loves to answer a question with a question. Why does he do that? Why does he do that? Often, when you read the Gospels, how many times does Jesus answer a question outright with the way they phrase the question? I would be, I would be um, and maybe that'll be your challenge for this week. See if Jesus ever asks, answers a question directly as it's asked. I don't think he does it, because most of the time, our questions can be disingenuous. Jesus likes to get to the heart of what the question really is about. 
the real issue. And his question is, was your fasting really about me? Kind of hurts, right? Just to have that question. Did you really do it for me? Think about it. Were they really mourning God's presence being gone? Or were they mourning the loss of their comforts? Were they mourning their convenience? Were they mourning their lost prosperity? Was it a chance? I got twice a year where I can just really sulk and have a pity party for myself. Do they even seek God's face during those times and mourning twice a year? So, we live in the United States and we have lots of different festivals and Memorial Days and other things like that, national holidays. So I just want to take a time to look at a couple of our national holidays and see, do we do what we're supposed to do on those days? Veterans Day. Do you ever talk to a veteran on Veterans Day? Do you ever make it a point to find a veteran? and honor them in, in some way, shape, or form. Maybe even just a quick post on social media. I know that's the minimal thing to do. But do you do even that? What about Memorial Day? You know, where we remember those that gave their lives so that we can have our rights and freedoms. Do you ever go to maybe a, 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 a graveyard or a cemetery and find the graves of some veterans and, and maybe put flowers on there or American flags? Do you take the time to sit down your kids and grandkids and, or nephews and nieces and, and tell them stories of family members and, or give them a history, uh, a, an education on why our country is, where we are today, what, that has, what they've sacrificed? The same with Independence Day or Martin Luther King Jr.'s birthday. If we're honest with ourselves, most of the time we just think, hey, we get another day off. Let's have a barbecue. Let's go swimming. Let's relax. Let's do anything other than what that day was planned for. These are all things designed to honor men and women. And what the passage is talking about are days that were designed to honor God. And if we don't even properly celebrate or, uh, or commemorate those dates that were meant to honor men, are we really doing those things for God? The truth is, truth is that they knew the answer, and God knew the answer. And God takes it a step further. He says, oh, let's not just talk about these days of mourning. Let's talk about your feasts and festivals. Aren't they all about you eating and drinking to please yourselves? So let's look at uh, some church calendar holidays, right? St. Patrick's Day. Leprechauns and three and four leaf clovers and Green food and green beer and whatever, right? Is that what St. Patrick's Day is about? Everybody thinking they're Irish for one day? No. It's about a guy who was a slave of a culture. And he escaped. And God saved him and changed his life and said, Go back to that very culture that enslaved you and give them the gospel. St. Patrick's Day should be our biggest evangelism day of the year. Where we go out and tell the, the cultures, especially those that are harmful to us, who have hurt us or wounded us, and give them the gospel of Jesus Christ, whether they're Irish or not. Valentine's Day, candy, flowers, even infidelity, right? It seems to be a day that's all about the world's idea of love, but really, 
uh, Valentine's Day is about commemorating and honoring the fact that marriage is designed by God and protected and preserved by Him. It's a celebration of a man and a woman dedicating their lives together. It should be a day where we go and find those who have spent 30, 40, 50 years with their spouse and we send them gifts and thank them and ask them, how did you do it? (laughs) Can you teach us something? Pentecost. Do we even celebrate Pentecost? I mean, it's the day that the Holy Spirit, God's presence, was enabled to dwell in all of us. Many came to the faith in that one day. Do we even commemorate it? The big ones. Easter, right? Is it about bunnies? <laughs> Chocolate and eggs. Pastel colors. It's about a risen Savior who conquered sin and death for all of eternity. A hope. A life. And Christmas. Man, those Christmas sales. Black Friday. Gifts. Bing Crosby, Nat King Cole. I still think Nat King Cole has the greatest voice ever. It's my favorite. Hey, I got to name that out of that. All right. Yeah. But isn't Christmas supposed to be not about what you get, but about what you give? Isn't it supposed to be about the fact that we recognize that God gave his only son for us, humbled himself? Shouldn't it be more about what he's asking us to give for him? A renewal of that kind of life and dedication? I'm saying this, but I'm just as guilty as you are. When I read this passage this, this week, I was like, ouch, God. You got a point, though. Are our celebrations truly about him, or even in the church calendar, is it more about our own self-indulgence? Now, God knows this about our human nature. It's not okay with him. But it's not a shock to him either. He didn't ask a question he didn't know the answer to. So, what does God really want? Zechariah says it really plainly. And so his desire for us that we're going to read in this passage is in any different then as it is now. It's the same message of the prophets of old. Even when the nation of Israel was healthy. That's what he's saying in the passage. Even when things were good with you guys, when your towns were bustling with people and everything was well populated, the message I'm about to give you is the same message that I give him. I don't change from yesterday, today, or forever. I want you to do this. Again, I'll read verses 8 through 10. This is what the Lord of Heaven's army says. Judge fairly and show mercy and kindness to one another. Do not oppress widows, orphans, foreigners, and the poor, and do not scheme against each other. This is the heart of what he wants for us. Not a once or twice a year showing of grief or fasting or even a celebration of him. He wants us to live for him daily where we look like his character and it shows in our interactions with one another. You know, when you're around somebody enough, they rub off on you. So in, in this week, it was Pastor Steve and myself and, and Sean and Amy Whiteman, and we drove seven hours down and seven hours back in the same car. And boy, you, you learn a lot of people in, in those moments, and, and especially on the way back, because we like got in and close to midnight, and we were all a little loopy. Um, but somebody said something. I don't even remember what was said. And then Steve made a comment. He made an expression. And immediately, it sounded like Dorinda. 
literally. I was like, whoa. And that's what should happen, right? In a married couple, you should say things that sound like your spouse. And it doesn't matter who it originated from. You just rub off on each other. And I think that's what this passage is getting at. Is when you dwell with Jesus, when you walk with him, when you know him, he says, I want you to look like me. That's basically what he's saying. I want you to show kindness. I want you to judge fairly. I don't want you to oppress people. I want you to love and look like me. Show genuine care for the poor, the lowly, and the least. He wants us to be men and women of integrity. He doesn't want us to sacrifice our character to get ahead. There's nothing worth sacrificing your character over. Nothing this world has to offer that can compare to what being and looking like Jesus gives you in eternal worth and value. You see, their emphasis prior to this was on what they'd lost. Mourning the destruction of the temple. And when you focus so much on what you've lost, you neglect the needs of those who are in front of you. It's true of all of us, guys. We all have our hurts and our wounds. We live in a fallen, sinful world. Every single one of us can mourn our losses. Loved ones that have passed away. Jobs that have been lost. Relationships that have fallen apart. Communities that we live in now, the, the communities that we've lost. I mean, you live long enough. I, I'm 20 years removed from my, from my college graduation. I, I mourn the, the community that I once had. I mourn the, the community that, that I had in previous churches where I ministered to. I, I mourn we had a get-together at, um, at my Uncle Jeff's house that was my grandparents' house just yesterday in Parkersburg. And uh, it was wonderful because we, we took a picture of, of my kids and my cousin Annette's kids based on age. So you have 14 kids up there. She's got eight. I got six based on their height. And it was like, you know, cell phone bars. Um, it was really cool. Uh, and it was a great experience. But in that experience at my grandparents' house, you can't help but mourn who's not there, right? But when you're focused on, on what you're mourning or what you're lacking or what you've lost you're missing out on who is there right in front of you. The needs of the moment, the people of the moment. And so it's true that all of us can, can spend our time mourning what has been lost, or we can focus on what's happening now. Whether things are good or bad in our lives and our culture, we're still called to look like Jesus and love like Him. Let's not forget what Zechariah 4.10 says. Do not despise these small beginnings, for the Lord rejoices to see the work begin. We can minimize the, the good things we do in a given day. We really can. But I think God does great things in us, and we don't even know it till later. I'll give you an example. Again, my, um, my, my cousin Annette, her husband Aaron Withrow is, is now one of our conference superintendents, may even be over our region, we don't know yet. But I, I, went, I, I didn't go to high school with Aaron, um, but we were uh, at youth camp together growing up, and then um, we both ended up at Asbury uh, University and, well, Asbury College at the time. By the way, uh, he told me yesterday, Eileen, that you were so instrumental in his life. Uh, when he would try to sneak out of a church on Sunday morning, Eileen figured out where his exits were. And she would be waiting for him. 
And, and so, as Pastor Dan would be preaching a message in Newcastle for 30, 40, however long he preached, he was shorter preaching, longer prayer, Eileen would be preaching her own private sermon to Aaron <laughs> in a hallway. And he said, that woman was instrumental in my life. I wouldn't be where I was today if Eileen hadn't chosen to be obedient to God and stand in a hallway waiting for some kid to skip out on service. But I had that same kind of interaction with Aaron as well, where when we were in college together, uh, we decided to do a Bible study. And we met in my dorm room, and we ended up only having one Bible study. And I taught it. I didn't remember what I taught, what it was on, nothing. But Aaron remembers. It was in 1 Thessalonians. And he said, that night you helped me understand what holiness and sanctification meant. I didn't get it until then. And that one time we met changed the rest of my life. See, I was just being obedient to what God had called me to do. I, I wasn't even a, a, a ministry major. As far as I knew, I was never going to touch a pastor in my whole life. I was just following what Jesus called me to do in that moment. It was lost to me over time. I, I didn't remember a thing about it, but for Aaron... It was the next thing after Eileen's initial influence that led him to that room with me in the dorm. And then he said, there's other stages that have happened along the way. And so we can't de-emphasize the importance and the power of what God can do in us daily. So a cheerful word to the lady who's checking you out at the grocery store like Savannah. Maybe that prayer under your breath when that guy flips you off, driving past you angrily. The prayers of a righteous person are powerful and effective. Maybe you might visit somebody who's sick or a shut-in or, or bring somebody some food. And you may say, well, that's not a big deal. It was just a meal. Oh, really? Just a meal? People don't naturally do things like that. I hope you know that. It's the love of Jesus that compels us to care for anybody else. You may think, oh, it's such a minimal thing. It's not... You may change the trajectory of someone's life for all of eternity by how you obey on a given day. So he wants daily obedience and living right. And this isn't a way to try to earn God's favor. That's the thing. I want to do good things. That's their, the idea behind their question. Is God happy? It, it, did we meet the criteria of, of grieving enough over the fallen temple that he can release us from that? And Zechariah's saying, that's not how God works. He wants you. He wants a relationship with you. That's what he desires. That's the difference between a religious show and a real relationship. It's almost as if God says, I don't care very much for what you do with me. I care that you're doing it with me. That's the why. The message continues, verses 11 through 14. Your ancestors refused to listen to this message. They stubbornly turned away and put their fingers in their ears to keep from hearing. They made their hearts as hard as stone so they could not hear the instructions of the messages that the Lord of Heaven's army had sent them by His Spirit through the earlier prophets. That is why the Lord of Heaven's armies was so angry with them, since they refused to listen when I called to them. I would not listen when they called to me, says the Lord of Heaven's armies. As with a whirlwind, I scattered them among the distant nations where they lived as strangers. Their land became so desolate that no one traveled through it. They turned their pleasant land into 
a desert. So back to the question, do we still need to fast on these two days to mourn the temple? And Jesus, God passionately says through Zechariah, the temple was destroyed not because people weren't doing feasts or festivals or times of mourning. It was destroyed because they refused to daily walk in obedience to me. Don't miss the point. They did. They put their fingers in their ears. La, 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 la. I don't want to hear it. Kids do that, right? We do that, right? We do. Like, you didn't say it because I didn't hear you. Because I didn't hear you, I'm not, I'm not responding. No, no. I'd rather just do good things, big things for every once in a while, God, to make up for all the bad things I choose to do daily. Isn't that good enough? No. No, I don't want to show I want you. Don't be, the reason that you are where you are today, the reason why you're having to rebuild a temple and you're trying to figure out your homes and and you're getting used to a land that should have been yours the whole time is because they didn't hear the message that I just gave you. Listen. So the question before us is, are we going to hear the message as well? Are we going to hear it as well? Notice in the passage, let's just look at the passage again, how he says this, your ancestors refused, they stubbornly turned away, they put their fingers in their ears, they made their hearts hard, then I was angry at them, and then the the last verse, they turned their pleasant land into a desert, the destruction the hardship, there are things that we face in life that we don't have to because God has to do it to get our attention. A good father wants to bless his children, and we have the best father. But what happens when his children say, I'm not listening to you? (laughs) He has to bring consequences. He has to get our attention. Our good heavenly father would allow us to face and feel some of the fires of hell so we don't end up in there eternally. That's a good father. He's saying, please listen to me, please. I don't want to show I want reality. It's love that compels him. God's instruction and design for our lives isn't difficult. Live for him daily and do what he would have us to do. Let me just give you some examples of what this should look like. Listen. First service, I started off with speaking. Let me start with listen. Listen to your brothers and sisters in Christ. Listen to their stories. Make yourself available. How are you doing today? I'm fine. No, how are you really doing? When they share something with you and you say, I'm going to pray for it, guess what you should do? Pray for it. Then when you see them the next Sunday, ask how they're doing. Listen. And then be free to share your testimony. The lost and dying out there, listen to their stories. Ask them questions. Show real genuine interest. Don't treat them like a hobby or a task where you just come up and say, well, I'm supposed to take care of the poor and the needy, and here, I'll buy you McDonald's. Have a good day. Listen to them. Share with them the testimony of what God has done with you. What is so busy about your day that you don't have time for people? 
show grace. Every single person in this room, if I gave a testimony time for people to share, not the good things God has done for them, but the heartaches and the pains that they have, I think we could have a lineup clear around the room, right? We are very fully aware of those that have hurt us and harmed us. Guess what? Even the ones we love the most will do that the rest of our lives. We are called to show grace and forgiveness and mercy, and I know it hurts. I know it hurts. But we can't allow poison to kill us on the inside and change who we are. Show love to those that it seems impossible to love. Don't mourn what you've lost. Keep your eyes fixed on eternity. Yes, in this world we'll have trouble. Yes, in this world we'll have loss. But everything is worth sacrificing for the gain that we have in Jesus Christ. Nothing lasts except for Him, for people. And, and I love this church because I think we've gotten really good about not focusing on the, the flashy and the grand events, these one-day things. Although those things are fun and all the rest. The main thing is that we learn to live and grow together. And the beauty of this message, one thing I love about it, is everyone is capable of following it. There's not one person in this room that hears what God requires of us and we can say, ah, I can't do that. No, all of us are capable of this. So, here's my charge for you today. Three things. Ask forgiveness for asking the wrong questions. God, forgive me for being superficial with you. You're the God of the universe. You understand me more than I understand me. Forgive me for asking superficial questions and not getting to the point of it. Look at my heart. Reveal my true motives and purify me. Forgive me. Forgive me. Start there. Ask him to heal your wounds. Second, pursue Jesus daily and passionately. Ever since uh, Rob Milne preached his sermon a few weeks ago on God's word, it's just resonated with me. I just loved his heart in that. Um, if you haven't listened to it yet, I encourage you to listen to it. Uh, but we really should get in the Word, either in the morning or at nighttime. You know, the Jewish people believe the day begins in the evening. We tend to believe, it. well, follow that it begins in the morning. But it's your instruction for the day. It's your instruction for the day. I mean, if you're working a job and you're not the boss... And, and the, the job changes daily, and you don't go to the boss to get your instruction for the day, what are you going to do? Are you going to do the right thing? I don't know. I haven't gotten my instruction for the day. Get your instruction first. Go to God's word. Hunger and thirst for it. Don't take a step without getting your orders and starting off with an eternal perspective. And then communicate through Jesus throughout the day. That's what praying continually means. Not that you have to pray with your eyes closed and walk into stuff you shouldn't. I'm not talking about that. I'm saying throughout your day, invite Jesus into your daily experience. God, show me things. Let me see your hand at work. If you're, if you're facing a, a tough situation or you're tempted or heartache or grief or, or an old wound comes up, immediately go to him and say, Lord, help me. Help me, heal me, protect me, guide me. When you, when you see something amazing, immediately give him praise. Let him be a part of your every day. And then walk in the strength of the Holy Spirit. God is with you. 
God is with you. You're equipped to face what you're going to face that day. You do not have to do it on your own strength and come to God at the end of the day and say, did I do good enough? No, he's with you. So do it with him. That's what the Gospels and the book of Acts exemplifies for us all the time. Did Jesus do huge, amazing, colossal things? Yes. Feeding of the 5,000 and 4,000 and healing the sick and lame. But if you watch their journey, Jesus would go either early in the morning or late at night and spend time with the Father. And then he would let the Father lead him where he needed to go. In fact, the, the book of um, Luke says the Holy Spirit led him multiple times. Okay, And that's what the, the disciples did in the book of Acts, the apostles. They didn't have some huge major game plan. They didn't strategize for months and weeks and say, okay, this is what we're going to have to do. And this, They walked in obedience daily. You know, Holy Spirit led Philip to an Ethiopian eunuch in a chariot. The right place at the right time when he's reading the right passage in the book of Isaiah. Just coincidence, right Steve? There's freedom in that, right? There's joy in that. You mean I don't have to have everything planned out so I, I know how to follow Jesus in the text? No, you don't have to. It's a daily, exciting adventure, and you will not know the depth of how God used you in those moments until maybe years later or even in eternity. Like I said, Eileen was probably thinking, man, this rascally kid. But she didn't think that. This kid Aaron's made in the image of God. And God has a plan for his life. And I'm going to tell him what he needs to hear in love, and he can take it or leave it. But he's in the building, and since he's in the building, he's in my turf. And I'm not going to let him go without that chance. Eileen, I have cousins because of your testimony to that young man. No big deal, right? Just being obedient in the day. No. That is the beauty of our faith. Don't minimize the small things that God wants to do. Jesus, I thank you. <laughs> I thank you for your honest surgery on our hearts. I thank you that you're faithful. And we can make lots of excuses. And we can be selfish and self-centered. Oh my goodness. And yet you love us. And you call us. And your desire for us is not a show, but a daily reality. So Jesus, as we pursue you, rub off on us. Rub off on us. We want people to see you when they see us. We want them to see your grace and love on our face. When we speak, we want them to hear your voice. When we touch someone to pray for them or provide something for them, we want them to literally see the, the nail-pierced hands. Help us to walk in that joyful daily celebration with you. Not trying to prove ourselves but just to delight in you. Bring us to that juncture, we pray in your name. Amen. As the lights dim down and the worship team prepares,
let me just remind you, every message, everybody hears the same thing, 